HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Danone North America, the world's largest B Corp, committed to doing all kinds of better for people and the planet. Learn more at DanoneAwayFromHome.com. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. Hope you all enjoyed your summer and are looking forward to the fall season, which we are starting now, our fall season here on Heritage Radio. This is the 263rd episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding pastry chef and restaurateur who has a brand new cookbook out, which we will talk about, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be health forward. Make yourself a priority, both physically and mentally, as without our health, we are nothing. And as simple as a concept as this may be, we still often forget to make ourselves our number one as we get absorbed in our busy day-to-day lives. But we need to remember that work-life balance is important and key to a long and prosperous life. So always remember to pay attention to your body and listen to it, as good health is everything. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very excited to have my guest joining me. It is Kelly Fields. She is the chef and owner of Willa Jean in New Orleans. And her first cookbook came out yesterday, and it's entitled The Good Book of Southern Baking, A Revival of Biscuits, Cakes, and Cornbread. Kelly grew up near Charleston in a family with a strong low country baking tradition. She has worked as a pastry chef for more than 20 years, and her accolades include Outstanding Pastry Chef from the James Beard Foundation in 2019 and being named one of the most influential people in the South by Garden and Gun magazine. 
She founded the Yes Ma'am Foundation in 2017 with the mission to inspire, encourage, and mentor the next generation of women in the restaurant and hospitality industry. So hi, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. I'm excited to talk with you, too. Thanks for joining me. And I was, you know, uh, the last we we spoke actually in person, I believe, was in the um, the mezzanine, the press room mezzanine at the James Beard Awards after you won a year, yeah. about a year ago. Yeah, I uh, vaguely remember that. I think the world was spinning. Um, but I do I do remember speaking to you in particular, for sure. Yeah, well, I have it on tape in case we need to go back. But um, yeah, that was quite a moment. I was so glad to to be there and help celebrate with you. Um, so uh, it's great to connect now. And I want to I want to catch up on all things and hear all about your book and everything. Congrats on that. Um, Thank you. Before we dive into the book, let's go back a bit into your history and sort of your childhood and and how you got into cooking and baking. Okay. So you, so you want to take us back a little bit? <laughs> sure, sure. So I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, in a suburb right outside of Charleston, um, and grew up on the water. And my mom is uh, an avid uh, preserver and canner and pickler and all that. And so we grew a bunch of produce in my childhood, um, and all we're always taking trips to farmers markets and you know go pick your own strawberries and all that stuff and my mom would come back and process them and put everything up for the next season um so baking and being in a kitchen has always been a really natural thing for me um i believe i enjoyed it far more than my siblings ever did um and so i moved to new orleans in 1996 um, from Charleston and met a woman whose parents owned a bakery um, in the city and their uh, business needed a lot of help one night in particular after winning a contract uh, like a bid to bake bread for all the the airlines leaving uh, New Orleans Airport at that time and so they asked everybody they knew to come in and help and so I went into this little bakery one night having never considered uh a profession in food or kitchens or baking and um the next week I worked there full time I fell in love with it instantly and refused to leave and tried to learn everything I could uh as fast as I could and then um I just I, I guess I still haven't stopped yeah I don't know <laughs> wow so when you moved to New Orleans did you have was there a plan or it was just sort of I'm going to move to the city and figure it out. Yeah, I love New Orleans. And, you know, the idea was always to go to college and, um, you know, get a get a job and start being a serious human. And um, I started baking and have never looked back. So, yeah, I eventually left New Orleans uh, in the year 2000 uh, after working for Susan Spicer and went to culinary school. Uh, at Johnson Wales University in Charleston while it was still there and moved straight back to New Orleans in 2002 when that program was over um, and worked here up until Hurricane Katrina and when the storm hit the the city is when I left and uh, I was gone for five years before I came back and I've been back for 10 years so 
where did you go and did you continue baking? Who were you, who were you working, working with? I did. I worked, um, I landed right after the storm in Asheville, North Carolina, um, and was the pastry chef at the inn on Biltmore Estate, um, which was a great place to sort of land and cook food. I really love to cook in an area that is so beautiful with people that were really remarkable to work with, um, and sort of figure out what the future of New Orleans was or what my future in New Orleans was. And, you know, it became more and more clear that a uh, fine dining pastry chef in the city of New Orleans after Katrina was not something that was needed. Um, and so I went and traveled around the world a bunch of places. I did spend some time in the, in the Middle East. I spent some time in Europe. I spent some time in New Zealand. Um, and I spent three years in San Francisco before coming back here. Oh, wow. Well, that's, I mean, it's great to, that you were able to get experience in all those places and surely gives you a different perspective of, of cooking and, and life. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I learned a lot. I learned, I, I mean, I am grateful I had the opportunity to rebound from Katrina the way that I was able and go out and see and learn and taste and smell so many different things around the world and like bring it back to New Orleans and like use it every day still. Yeah, so so when you when you moved back then when when did you come up with uh, the concept of Willa Jean and decide that you were going to um, open open a a bakery that really turned into a full service restaurant? <laughs> it sure did. Um, <laughs> Willa Jean like the original conversation about opening a bakery started uh, probably in 2003, even before Hurricane Katrina. Um, and then coming back to New Orleans in 2010, and I went back to work at Restaurant August um, and was working with Michael Galata, who now owns Maypop and Love Mofo. Him. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Um, and so we started talking, and, and the idea of this bakery sort of started taking shape, especially I felt... Uh, much more sure of the place that I was in after traveling and, and maturing a little bit. I'm not going to give myself too much credit there, but uh, sort of understanding what it would look like and how to put together a space that allowed me to to sort of use all the knowledge I I had from traveling and from working around the world and cooking and you know working on farms and um it was conceptualized as much more a bakery than it is. And in the first couple of days we were open, like I had a couple snacks on the menu um, because I've never written a savory menu before I opened this uh, business. Oh, wow. um, and the number of people that showed up to, to eat, uh, I could not ignore that. So we became a full service, full service restaurant overnight. Um, and I wrote a savory menu that basically consisted of food that I would cook for you if you came to my house because that's all I really knew at the time um, and just got to work because we started feeding you know hundreds and hundreds of people a day um, up to a thousand people a day overnight um, out of nowhere so it was a really really wild and hard uh, first like two and a half years just trying to figure out how to do it where to do it um, and build a really great team to be able to, to handle it. 
Yeah, well, when last when I was down in New Orleans several years ago, and I, I I've been to your restaurant, I, I loved it, and I loved it. I was solo, and I sat up at the chef's counter, and the place. I mean, it was brunch. It was, it was busy, busy. Yeah, like mm-hmm. um, I could see you're doing high volume there. It seemed like every you know the place to be. Um, and I would have never guessed you you didn't set out initially to be full service with with right. you know, um, Yeah. Because- I- I really love brunch. Brunch is one of my favorite meals just because of the energy of it. Like work, you know, most people who work in restaurants really don't love brunch. brunch. (laughs) (laughs) They don't love it. Um, I've always loved it. Like as a pastry person who generally works really early in the morning and doesn't really get to engage in the energy of a dining room. And like the energy of a meal period, like brunch is early enough that pastry people were involved. And you got to sort of feed off the energy of people like celebrating with their friends and their family and like just being out. And I wanted a brunch restaurant, like a, a restaurant in New Orleans where brunch was going to be a thing um, every weekend. And but it was all supposed to be like counter serve, like counter service. There was no service that I thought about. Like the like it was it was like a simple but busy brunch in my mind. And now it's just. You know, it's what we're known for. Like we have a full, full wait staff, and you know, a full dining room at all times, even even today, which I feel really lucky about. That people are drawn to the brunch at Willow Jane. Yeah, well, it's 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 fabulous. So <laughs> there's, Thank there's you. the reason why. Um, yeah. What? How? So we're in we're we're in this pandemic that's you know hit our industry and the world's. Um, yeah very hard in our industry uh, particularly but um how uh, i mean initially uh what 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 did you what was what happened with shutting down or and where are you at now mm-hmm. with with what you're doing with with your concepts um and the scene in new orleans sure so we initially um shut down completely because you know in march when you know, we were starting to understand how serious this was and how widespread it was, I think, as a nation. Um, everybody was really rattled. I made the, the decision to shut down because we didn't know what was happening. We didn't fully know how to protect ourselves or how to do smart business. And just the emotional labor it was taking on not just myself, but my team, like we were rattled. And didn't really know how to show up in it and how to protect ourselves or how to trust what we were doing. So we shut down for a little bit and just sort of wrapped our head around what we were dealing with and what it would look like in that moment. Obviously, everything has changed 10 times since then. Um, But we got a better idea of of how to show up in business. I had to bake some cookies. for someone so I came into the restaurant while we were shut down and decided to bake some extra cookies and do like a flash bake sale and people were so responsive and we sold out so quickly that I was like okay let's try this and so we started opening up a little bit slower and slower for um takeout and delivery only and have sort of built into um dining room business as the city is allowed with the mandate so we're at 50 percent right now um plus takeout and delivery um which is you know takeout and delivery is half our business easily at this point 
Yeah, and I saw so we, that you you ship with Gold Belly too. Around mm-hmm, yep, nationwide. Is that we do? Yeah, we do. Uh, right now we have cookies and a, our cornbread, banana bread, um, and we're looking to add a couple uh, exciting and new things in the next couple weeks to expand on that. Um, expand on that some. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing that people can get your products um, beyond your city. And um, it was just about, I would say, like two hours ago, we got breaking news in, in New York that the governor is uh, going to allow indoor dining at 25% in New York mm-hmm. City, because we haven't, we've, we've had outdoor dining, but we haven't had any indoor yet. Yeah. So um, that's going to start at the end of yeah. September. So um I think the restaurant industry here is, you know, looking forward to that to try to try to get some more business in, and uh, it's been yeah. so challenging. I mean, it's a it's a catch twenty two also because twenty five percent is so like a restaurant's never going to make it on that, right? Even with outdoor dining, um, and I know how um, hesitant I am, or people in New Orleans are, to eat in indoor spaces. And it's just going to take a really long time, I think, for all of us to sort of like ease into feeling okay being out. I can't, I can't imagine how folks who have spent the last six months in New York are feeling. Yeah, I, I hear you. I know, I know the margins have been always so tight for restaurants to make it at a hundred percent capacity. So 25% is not, as you say, it's, it's, (laughs) it's going to be very challenging for restaurants really to get through yeah. this, but let's, I mean, it's, it's the next, I guess it's the next step for us. And so, um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, cause it's, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. It's been great. I mean, I think, you know, I started out saying I was, it was like a year ago I spoke with you and just, um, but how much has the world has changed since then? Um, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's uh, who knew? It's unbelievable. It really is. So let's let's talk about your book. When when okay. did um, when did you come up with uh, or decide you were going to do a cookbook? And and how, was this you know way pre pandemic? And and were you working <laughs> you know through it last year? Like, tell me a bit about the process. Yeah, I started having serious conversations about writing a book about three and a half years ago. And it was almost three years ago that I saw, like, I had worked with Kate Headings, from, who was at Food & Wine, um, to write a proposal. And, you know, bas- essentially, I sold the book and signed the book deal almost three years ago. And so it's been a real project for the past two years in particular um, of writing and testing and photographing and bringing this amazing team together uh, to create this book that just came out yesterday, like, like it belongs on a bookshelf. It's pretty amazing. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, it looks beautiful. And I remember I saw Kate, um, I don't know, back when we could go to events. I was at another book (laughs) signing, maybe it was like six or eight months ago. And she told me about the book that working Mm -hmm. with you on it. And, um, I'm so excited. It's now out. Um, what, how did you, how was the process of working with Kate and deciding what recipes to put in the book and, 
And I mean, this is your first time doing a book and I, I, <laughs> I can only imagine how, you know, all the different details and the process of it is, is, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole lot. And it was, it was also Kate Hedding's first cookbook. Um, so we really learned this together oh, with the yeah. help of um, our editors and publishers and just, you know, talking to people who have been through this process. Um, so essentially in the proposal, you know, we were aiming for about 125 recipes. And for me, the, the project of the book was sort of a love letter to the American South and a love letter to the career that I've had here uh, and the things that I grew up cooking and the things that I've cooked um, and fed people in my career in like a professional capacity here. Um, so it was it was actually pretty amazing to have all the notebooks that I've had that I have and just go through them and immediately know like what is what is southern baking and what automatically falls into that category when you think about it and also what's important to me and what when I read a recipe what speaks to me or what like moves me emotionally because I have such a connection to that like food memory from a family member or a food memory from you know serving something in a restaurant that I've worked at and um that's really how we mode roadmap the whole table of contents for the for the book of of just things that I think have to be there even if they're not necessarily southern in tradition uh and fit in a box very snugly but um just the food memory for me or or even the food memory for people around me. Right. And there's, there's obviously a, 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 a major focus on biscuits, cakes, and cornbread. <laughs> when the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get a lot of that if you get this book. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I'm hungry talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think those are the, those are the top three things you know, you want to make up four things. We'll talk about uh, about pie, but um, biscuits and cornbread and cakes, like big, uh, beautiful cakes, like that to me is the the idea of Southern baking. When you say Southern baking, those are the three things that really hit me first and foremost. Yeah, well, this is a good segue into my question from my last uh, guest, uh, Akhtar Nawab on episode 260, I asked him to ask you a question. And he's oh, yeah. A, yeah, he's the chef and of Alta Kalida in Brooklyn, and he also has uh-huh. Otravez in New Orleans and mm-hmm. Prather's on the Alley in D.C., and he's a founding partner and CEO of Hospitality HQ. So his question is, how do you make your pimento cheese spread as it's so good? And he wants to know if it's in the book. Um, unfortunately, that one's not in this book. It, you know, I would like to put a book out where that that fits. But I mean, to be totally transparent, I 100% stole that recipe from my mother. <laughs> um, and it, it is word for word, measurement for measurement, exactly the way she made it when I was growing up. Um, and she doesn't believe me to the point that she still calls me and asks me for my recipe for pimento cheese. Oh, even funny. though it's hers yeah even though it's hers so well and i don't i don't know if you know this but akhtar said he 
lives upstairs from Willa Jean. Like yeah. he has an apartment up there. So he goes he to sure does. all the time. Yeah, he gets coffee here often. We see him often. Yeah. He's a great yeah. neighbor. Yeah, he said he he said he loved he was impressed and the, the staff knows his coffee order and <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's one of those small world things because I figured you might know each other chef, you know, chef to chef yeah. in the same city, but Yeah, he's awesome. a great guy. Great guy. Yeah, he is. And now we have book number two right there already, the savory. <laughs> the the, savory, the savory, savory recipes I've stolen from my mom. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so uh, before we take a break, um, I want to talk a little about the Yes Ma'am Foundation um, okay. that you founded. Do you want Do you want to uh, tell me like what inspired that? And, and sure, a little about the concept. Well, I was working um, on a event, like a fundraiser event for another chef, and it was all male chefs, and they were doing all these things. I was like thinking about one how there there was just such a presence of men, um, even in the South, and but how many amazing women and non-binary people I knew who were running kitchens and doing really impressive things in the South, and weren't being asked to these events or weren't having weren't able to get in the in the room so to speak or you know find mentors the way that I wasn't able to find a mentor growing up in this industry and um decided to throw an event by women for women um and it was so much fun and there was such a response to it that I bec- I made it a foundation and now we you know we've been very quietly giving away uh, continuing education scholarships um, to women and non- non-binary folks around the South um, to go to conferences or to go travel somewhere and really research something they're interested in um, and just get connected with people to mint for mentorship and to like inspire and engage each other. Um, and it's been it's been really wonderful um, to be a part of that and to to see so many so many folks thriving in the south um because of connections made through that foundation yeah that's wonderful did did anything uh with your mission or with uh, what uh, the activities with the foundation change or with uh what's been happening in the current state with the pandemic and and over the past couple of months i mean we've been we've been pretty quiet um just i mean also i, I was writing the book so Oh, oh, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wrote a book and um, running a restaurant and, yeah. um, you know, we've been a little quiet, but we get a lot of people who reach out and are, you know, interested in partnerships or interested in, you know, getting access to something like women who write to us or non-binary individuals that write to us and say, you know, I want to do this Zoom class and it's, you know, it's it's beyond my means. Here's the reasons why I want to do it. Here's what I think I'll get out of it. Um, you know, we get those kind of messages all the time and are able to, to fund uh, little individual continuing education for people around the South. And that, you know, that's the work. That's, that's what I wish I had. Uh, and a lot of people that I know in this industry had, wish they had. Uh, growing up in this industry. Yeah, I know it's great. And also I, I had read, there were a couple articles that came out on um, just like mental health and just taking care of um, 
your team and yourself in the industry. I saw a piece in mm-hmm. the James Beard Foundation's blog by a friend of mine, Lula Corey Honold, and um, you were quoted in it just talking about how you know you work with your team and and helping to uh, to 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 support them. And I, I thought that was really really wonderful. Um, they're, I mean, they're wonderful people, and you know that's that's what we're here for. I don't, I, I don't know how anybody could expect themselves or anybody around them to show up to work in the world that we're in right now and act like everything's okay uh, and perform like everything's okay, like everything's normal. Um, and so we address it and just put it in the open. And sometimes people are feeling. Like they don't want to be here and that's that's okay this is hard for all of us none of us have the answers and you know we're all trying to honor that as much as we're able uh in the moment every day yeah true and well said so let's take a little break here and we'll come back and we'll play my speed round we'll talk some industry news i'll have my solo dining experience and the final question so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Every time your customers eat and drink, they vote for the world they want to live in. And as the world's largest B Corp, to know North America helps people vote for a better world with all kinds of better dairy, coffee, and plant-based products sourced and produced transparently. Danone North America has the brands people know and love, like International Delight, Oikos, Silk, So Delicious Dairy-Free, Horizon Organic, and Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. But Danone North America represents more than just in-demand brands and better-for-your-business products. They bring their B Corp certification to life in ways that protect the environment and communities by utilizing 100% renewable electricity sources to produce their products at their manufacturing facilities, committing $6 million to programs that restore the soil's ability to capture and sequester carbon, helping to restore more than 7.8 billion gallons to freshwater ecosystems through their water partnerships over the past decade, and committing to 100% reusable, recyclable, and compostable packaging by 2025. Learn how you can choose better at DanoneAwayFromHome.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Kelly Fields. She is the chef and owner of Willa Jean in New Orleans, and her first cookbook is out now. You can go get it. It's called The Good Book of Southern Baking, a revival of biscuits, cakes, and cornbread. So, Kelly, it is time for my speed round game. Okay. Uh, what, uh, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. I don't think Oof. you have might, That's a hard one. The one might be very hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here we go. Okay. Uh, eat in or eat out? Uh, eat out. 
wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Nope, I'll take that back. Small plates and lots of them. <laughs> Wait, say it again? Small plates and what? Lots of them. Lots of them. Okay, awesome. Yep. How about a communal table or chef's counter? Ooh, either. Ooh, that's a hard one. Okay. I mean, today would be chef's counter. Uh, Pre-COVID would be communal table. Interesting. But you don't have at the restaurant... Was there there wasn't a communal table, correct? Or it was the no, chef. No, we have yeah, we have there... a big uh, we have a big like twenty seat communal table. We've oh. taken it out of the restaurant for right now, but right. um, I really do hope to bring it back because it's one of my favorite parts about a restaurant. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm it's coming back to me. Yeah, well, I know now. Now I don't even I don't know what's going to happen with both of them, but chef's counter has always been my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. But communal, yeah, communal tables, we'll have to see what happens. Um, okay, I have a few more. Uh, tipping or all-inclusive charge? I prefer an all-inclusive charge. Okay. Mardi Gras or Jazz Fest? Jazz Fest. Po'boys or muffalettas? Always, always. <laughs> Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or New Orleans? Ooh, that's a hard one. I'm gonna pick New Orleans every time. There you go. I do, I, I do love the other two though. I do love them. Yeah, I guess I could have thrown in Charleston in there too to or even further um challenge you yeah but new orleans yeah i i love i love your city <laughs> i do too it's really she's pretty special really so so special i can't wait to get back down there um really a great 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 town yeah we can't wait to have you i can assure you that yeah, well, I you know typically I've been I've come a couple times for um, Tales of the Cocktail in July, mm -hmm. which uh, you know I know they used to do it. They would pick that time of year because it's a in a, a slower time, at least by by weather conditions of visiting. Yep. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> um, is so I, hot. I, yeah, I do hope to get back down there. Well, we'd love to see if you do. Thank you. And up here, you have to come too. So um, we need we need we need visitors as well. I'm ready for it. This is the longest I've gone without being up there uh, in years. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean that I know, but I can just it's like it's like everyone. No one's no one's getting on planes right now, or or only if you kind of have to. But well, I can't wait to travel again. And for now, let's. Um, Industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times uh, that came out in today's paper. It's called Seven Ways the Pandemic Has Changed How We Shop for Food. And this is by Kim Severson. Um, I thought it was interesting just to see she summed up uh, that, I guess, the top reason she of, of things of how how shopping, uh, food shopping has, has changed or what's, what's uh, the, you know, most uh, 
what she's seeing most. And there were a couple of them. There's uh, trips are fewer, lists are better, um, online aisles are bustling. She has uh, she had orange is the a new is the new snack. Um, I don't know. Do, were you able to to see this piece at all? Yeah, I read it. Um, I read it this morning before I even came to work. Um, I thought the oranges were really interesting, but also I like thought about my own grocery shopping um, since the pandemic. And every time I go to the grocery store, I do buy oranges because um, they keep longer. Because I'm trying to go to the grocery store less frequently, so I'm buying things that aren't processed but also have some sort of shelf life. And oranges, oranges fit the bill. See, you're right. You're right in this 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 list. I mean, that was the yep. first one is people are going to the store uh, fewer times and and getting, you know, more what they need for the whole week. And um, and the oranges. See, I haven't been buying oranges. So that's why I was sort of like, oh, I guess I missed out on that trend. Or <laughs> mm-hmm. And also I in Manhattan, I don't know, I've been finding I actually was going to the grocery store not more often, but at, I was kind of going a little more frequently and buying less and finding that was easier for me to manage in, in, mm-hmm. in my groceries and bringing it home. But I think it's, I think it's a little different being in Manhattan versus um, other places where you would drive yeah. to the store. Yeah. Um, and just the like economics of space in the kitchen or in your freezer, you know, like I have a full kitchen and a full refrigerator and I know that's not always the case in, with for folks in New York. Yeah, true. I do have a full refrigerator, but my space in my kitchen's pretty small. Yeah. But um yeah, I also with this article, I mean, she pointed out, you know, redrawing of of stores and and just, you know, with whether the the arrows in different different aisles, whether that's going to mm-hmm. stick or not. She was kind of saying it might not, but one thing I've found that that I I do appreciate is a grocery store by me now has self-checkout and I like that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I like being able to do it myself and, uh, and, and kind of manage it. Mm-hmm. I saw, so, I was in a grocery store that had, um, like scanners you picked up on your way in and you scan things as you put them in your cart. And then you go like check out at once, everything's already rung up and you just pay for it at the front. And like a employee helps you just go through the process to make sure you get it right. And that was brilliant. I remember reading about that like a year or so ago, maybe that they were going to do that, but I've actually never been to a store that does that. Mm-hmm. I so love it. Cool. I thought it was so smart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Has shopping changed for you in the way you, you order for the restaurant? Um, not really. It's still, you know, I try to focus on local. Um, I'm trying to support the, the local guys, small guys, as much as I'm, I'm able. Um, the hardest challenge for us is just to know, try to anticipate what business is going to be because some days are really, really busy and some days are really, really, really slow and there's no real rhyme or reason to why that's happening. So that's the biggest challenge for us. I mean, we cook what is available. It's not like we're trying to, um, we don't really have to fight the supply chain so much. We adapt to it pretty well. So, 
Yeah, yeah, and actually on on this list, or number seven was local is a bigger lure, and that's you know local is I think local is very important for everyone to support. Um, so I'm glad that's a trend. Also, she's noticing. Yeah. I hope that does not go away. Yeah, me too. I don't think it will. I mean. Um, yeah, it's so far. This list of the, the the one that got me was the oranges. I was like, oh, I I don't know. I, <laughs> but um, it's 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 interesting to to see how how people are are doing things differently, and that online shopping obviously be you know is said in this that it hit um, online grocery stores hit seven point two billion. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, like crazy. So. Well, yeah, we're... I always, I, I've always been hesitant to order like uh, Instacart or any of those online shopping because, like, being in the store and picking out like the perfect pineapple or the avocado and knowing like, oh well, I want avocado for this meal in two days, so I need to buy it this firm, or I want it immediately, so it needs to be this firm, or not firm at all. Like, I feel like that gets lost. So I really enjoyed the part of the the story where. Um, Kim wrote about the recipe testers and how they had built relationships with the people who were shopping for them about what to look for in produce to get what they needed. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, it is. And you're right. I mean, I find I've done online shopping again, it's, or online food shopping. Um, for someone lives in Manhattan as a convenience thing, but mm-hmm. more so for things that uh, not touch and feel like, you know, a cereal or milk or seltzer water or (laughs) bulky bulky things that I, I, um, I don't necessarily need to pick out myself. Sure. That makes sense to me. So, um, yeah, well, uh, we'll see, we'll have to see as the, as time progresses, you know, what sticks and what doesn't, but definitely let's stick with the local. So, uh, okay, it's time for my solo dining experience. Um, this week, it's at Iconic Katz's Delicatessen. So here's the rundown. The location, 205 East Housen Street, Lower East Side, New York City. The concept, it's a classic New York City institution. It's a kosher-style, kosher no-frills deli serving mile-high sandwiches since, 19, since 1888. It's crazy. 1888 this place opened um and they're they're famous for a lot of things but they're famous for uh when when harry met sally the movie the scene uh, i'll have what she's having with meg ryan that's uh one of the classics so uh the owner is jake dell he's a third family generation owner why did i go well uh it was a couple weeks ago and i happened to be down in the neighborhood and i was just craving something delicious so my experience um I, 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 I went also because I was kind of curious to check this place out and what they were doing now in COVID because um, they've never had, had outdoor dining in all this 132-year history, and now they have outdoor tables set up. Uh, so I, anyways, I went in. I still, you get a ticket out, up front um, that is used to track what you're going to order, and then there's no table set up. I waited in a, a small line. There weren't a lot of people, but I waited about five, ten minutes. Uh, I went up to the to the counter where um, I was able to chat with uh, my 
my guy, I guess, who took my order. And uh, I wasn't sure if they do tastings, but he said, sure, if you want to taste the pastrami, which they typically do, let me have a taste. Um, it's delicious. We chatted a little bit about how their business was doing. Um, they were still really busy. Actually, they're on Gold Belly as well, um, shipping nationwide. So um, uh, it was it was it was good to be in there. I, I paid. I took my meal outside and uh, I started eating at one of their outdoor tables. But I didn't finish because if you've ever been to Katz's, <laughs> you know their portions are huge. So um, what did I get? Well, I went with the classic pastrami on rye with mustard. It came with pickles and I got a Dr. Brown's diet cherry soda. My take, it was just damn good. I mean, I hadn't been there in a couple years and I just kind of forgot how good their pastrami is. It's just, it's really delicious. If you if you like meat, this is like, this sandwich is a winner. Um, and it, the pickles, like great pickles. And I actually, I love Dr. Brown's and I don't drink much soda, but this is like, if I'm going to drink a soda with it, this is, this is what I want. Okay. So the ambiance, it's typically a bustling deli. Um, and this was, you know, a, a kind of weird scene being in there and being empty ish with no table set up and the line, but the counter was still there and the friendly service. Um, so that was, that was cool. Uh, perfect for meat lovers and experiencing an institution during a pandemic. Uh, interesting tidbit. So Katz's usually serves 15,000 pounds of pastrami a week. And as I said, they ship anywhere um, in the U.S. and also in Canada. Uh, personal fun fact. So as a kid, I did not like pickles. I really hated pickles. I didn't want them to touch a sam like a sandwich or anything. I just despised them. And now I love them. So it just shows you how taste changes. Uh, the cost of my meal was $26, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Oh, yes, I would. And their website is katzesdelicatessen.com. So there you go. Pastrami sandwich at Katz's. Have you, have you had one of those, Kelly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds like a perfect <laughs> meal right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah, along with some, some, uh, some biscuits and cakes and cornbread. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll take it. That uh, would be perfect. Um, okay, so uh, it's time for the final question. Uh, my next guest is Emily Elise Miller. She's the founder of Eat Off Limits, which is a new cereal and cultural brand built around emotionally unstable counterculture cartoon characters. I can't wait to hear all about that. <laughs> also the the author of Breakfast, the cookbook. And I know her from years ago, she did these breakfast club events. So she's like a breakfast gal who has her own cereal now, which is amazing. That's amazing. That's super amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I'm going to, I can't wait to talk to her. And uh, what, what would you like to ask her? Well, first I would like to know how to make my own cereal, like produce my own cereal. Maybe you could... No. Um, I am mostly interested in, you know, having so much time to travel around the world. Uh, one of the most fascinating things for me is how differently uh, cultures and countries approach breakfast. And I wonder if she has a preferred, like top one or top three favorite breakfast approaches through like internationally. Oh, that's a great question. I would like to know that, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's interesting. And I, I would like to know too. So we'll find <laughs> out because she wrote, I mean, the book, her breakfast book, I know she covered, she covered a lot of territory with, with that. Mm -hmm. so. What's her preference? What's her yeah. preference or my preference? What's her? Yeah, I would like to know her preference and yours. Oh, no. I love I, breakfast. Breakfast is one of my favorite things. So I do too. I don't, I, I, um, what was it the other day? I, I, I don't know. I made, I, you know, I've been cooking more now at home and, um, but I cook pretty simply, but it's like, I made, I don't know. I made eggs for dinner and I'm like, why not? Like, I don't, I, it's, it's one of those, I think I'm in that it doesn't, breakfast doesn't have to be at what traditionally breakfast time. That's the, that's right. the state I'm currently in. Yeah. <laughs> eggs are appropriate all day as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, well, I will find out and I, um, I'm thrilled for you with your new book. I, I hope people, uh, people need to go get the book. It's, uh, I'm assuming it's available. It's at Amazon and where else can people anywhere, find it? Yeah. Anywhere they love to buy books. It is available. Mm -hmm. If you want a autographed copy, uh, you can go to shopwillagene.com and order one there and I will send it to you. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. And to you and, and Kate Headings. I'm so glad you guys got to work together on your first books or your Me first too. books. Me too. Thank together. you. Um, and uh, congratulations on, on Willa Jean and everything you're doing there and James Beard. And, you know, I wish you much future success. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. And I can't wait to see you and get down to New Orleans. So yeah, same. Let's make it happen. Uh, so my guest today has been Kelly Field. She's the chef and owner of Willa Jean in New Orleans. And her first cookbook is The Good Book of Southern Baking, a revival of biscuits, cakes, and cornbread. As we said, you can get it on Amazon and you can go to her website, willajean.com and uh, find out more. You could also follow her at Kelly Fields and at Willa Jean New Orleans. You can follow me on social media at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And I'd love it if you could take the time to leave us a review or a rating. It would help us with listenership, and I'd love to get your feedback. So uh, please, please do that. If you could take a few moments, it would be wonderful. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Kelly and to her publicist, Laura. I'm Sherry Bayer. Uh, till next week, be safe and be well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. 
Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.